Some kids can't wait to leave high school. Others might be a bit worried about what the next steps might be. But most are a bit excited about the great big future opening up before them, or at least that's what you'd hope for them. Many people with an intellectual disability have the same hopes and goals as their neurotypical peers, but sadly it's often much harder for them to find those meaningful connections and a sense of purpose once they leave school. What might change that? It's a few years away for me, but it's something I do think about a fair bit. Dr Lise Mogensen is an Associate Professor in Medical Education, Research and Evaluation at Western Sydney University. And in a recent study, she spoke with people across the Eastern Seaboard about their experience. Dr Mogensen, welcome to Life Matters. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me on your show. It's a pleasure. What did young people with intellectual disability tell you about their experience at high school and, and what came after? Yeah, what we got from young people um, that we spoke to was that their experiences were quite varied. So there was very little consistency in terms of that planning and preparation to leave school. Um, many of them didn't really, couldn't recall having sort of specific advice or um, having those kind of experiences that would have helped them to prepare for life after school. So Um, what was missing exactly? I mean, is it something that typically developing kids have or or just something that, that they needed in particular? They tended to have fewer opportunities for things like work experience or um, trying out things that adults would be doing after, you know, after leaving school. So they were often the sense that they uh, might just be capable of one or two things and they wouldn't really be given other opportunities. Often this transition would start quite late or the planning would start quite late where we sort of hope that it starts sort of mid-high school but often was left sort of to the last year or the last few months before they leave, were leaving school. So do we need to think differently about careers advice for people with intellectual disability, either training up careers advisors and, and tackling that tendency to put people in a box or, or having some specialised services available? Um, I think, you know, we we know that evidence shows that post-school outcomes improve when transition starts early and that it's coordinated between um, the relevant stakeholders. So that would certainly include careers advisors, uh, the students themselves and families and other educators, but also maybe community members and service organisations could be engaged a bit earlier. Well, yes. Is there an issue too with bias in employers? Well, employment, there's a lot of challenges to employment. I guess um, some employers might might doubt or um, doubt the ability or they might have a lack of workplace flexibility to include people. But there's also often an, a poor understanding of um, the capacity or the rights of people with, with intellectual disability. Um, and then there's, of course, the lack of education opportunities or maybe even difficulty in accessing the right skills training and, and that sort of thing. We're speaking with Dr. Lisa Mogensen, who's an Associate Professor in Medical Education, Research and Evaluation at Western Sydney University. And she spent some time speaking with young people with intellectual disability about that transition time between school and work or whatever comes afterwards. And Lisa, I mean, that can be a tricky time for a few kids. They, a lot of kids can feel a bit lost or unsure. Do you know how much harder it was for people with intellectual disability? 
Well, it, it's tricky to say, but the the problem is that they probably haven't got the same range of opportunities and they lack some of that support. Many of the young people felt that they had little say in their planning. Um, so then they, they weren't actually accessing the same systems um, as others and they often need that support. So accessing uh, work and education relies on self-advocacy, self-determination, knowledge of systems and so forth. So it's hard to say how much, but we know that there is um, a much, much higher rate of unemployment than uh, for your average young people. Yes, I was reading how the the gap in employment outcomes between uh, neurotypical people and people with intellectual disability is really high in Australia, 32%, much higher than, than some other countries, for example. Absolutely. Why is it so high here, do you think? Uh, it's hard to say because obviously we 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 have sort of a, a workforce shortage at this point in time. So um, you would hope that there would have been there would be some opportunities for young people. But the the issue is that the while we have the transition planning and uh, the pathways, it seems that maybe these are not being implemented consistently. One writer with lived experience of disability, uh, Damien Melifont, suggested on the Conversation website recently that disability services should step up and offer more job opportunities within those organisations for people with disability, including intellectual disability. Would that help? Oh, absolutely. I think there is um, there's an issue, I guess, in terms of um, disability services being seen as kind of the the next step, but also the end station sometimes. And so what was happening for a lot of the people that we spoke to is that they seem to be stuck there. So where there's, you know, there might have been a goal for employment, um, they might have some trials, but really they end up staying within the, the same disability service or they seem to jump around from one to try one to the other to try and find something that's a bit more suitable for them. So that feeling of stuckness was really interesting, wasn't it? The the young people mm. said, yeah, we, we feel stuck or we feel like we've been put in a box. It was really heartrending to, to read that. Does it depend where the person is, Lisa? Is it easier in cities, for example, than in regional or remote areas or in the more populous states? Is it easier? Most of our, our, our participants were not remote, but certainly we know that there is a, um, a service lack or access um, difficulties in more regional areas. Um, so that would definitely be an issue. Social isolation is very common regardless of where um, young people are located, really. It was a very common topic for our participants. Interesting text has popped in and I'd welcome your thoughts on this, whether you have tried to navigate that transition process with or on behalf of a young person with intellectual disability and tried to get them into that meaningful activity, those uh, joyful, fulfilling social connections. How did you achieve that together? Lisa, this text says many families I work with, the the texter doesn't say what field they work in, hold their young adults back from work and housing, etc. as they rely on the carer's pension and have an unhealthy codependence on their child with a, a, their child or adult with a disability. How big a factor in your experience is that? Look, this was not part of this particular study. Um, I'd like to not really comment on that one. Sure. Um, 
our our study focused really on the experience of young people themselves. We did talk with some families as well, but um, it, not in in that regard. And one of the things that the young people raised with you was social connections. How important are they first up to young people leading fulfilling lives and taking those steps into adult life? Well, I think it's very important and that was certainly coming out clear in our data that um, they felt disconnected after school because they had, firstly, they lost the, the structures that were sort of guiding them a bit in life, but um, they they lost a lot of their connection, or their friendship connections as well, or connections even with teachers and so forth. So it was hard to um, talk to them about, you know, that sense of really feeling very isolated, very alone, hard to um, hard to make new connections. So um, that was that was a huge factor for most of them. So if we think about ways to foster those social connections, what might potentially that look like? Lisa, are there things that support services could do to foster those relationships? Uh, I think it would be about branching out and looking at what interests young people have. They a lot of services have a fairly limited range of options. Um, young people often are grouped together based on their perceived or um, their, their perceived capacity, or even you know the labelling or their condition. So, um, and while that might work for some people, there are others that would prefer to be maybe with other with other young people of, that have same or similar interests. So, does that mean that perhaps we need a broader societal shift to say? We're not just going to make a group for young people with disability. We're going to make our group that involves card games or bowling or whatever it is more inclusive. I think so. I think so. That's um, definitely a a way forward to make our society much more inclusive and and make, you know, the experience of disability normative one. We're speaking with Dr. Lisa Mogensen, who has been speaking with young people with intellectual disability about that tricky time when they leave school and they've left that routine and structure behind and they're taking their steps uh, into adulthood and into the adult world and they're finding a few more barriers than their typically developing peers when it comes to both forming social relationships that they find fulfilling and, and based on their interests, but also when it comes to finding meaningful work and activity. We heard from Lisa before how uh, careers advice for people with intellectual disability can often start very late and be a bit sketchy and also uh, be a bit constrained, I think, Lisa, was the sense that by assumptions about that young person. Where would you like to see us start to change some of those assumptions that that are clearly having these impacts later on? Yes. Um, look, that that's a really good question because our findings are not really that new. There's been minimal change and transition from school experiences um, despite decades of research and, and calls for change to practice. But um, first, one step would be to have nationally consistent and more accountable transition strategies in place so that there are, you know, some um, maybe some outcomes that need to be reported on from all the way from school through services um, and through employment. Um, and um, and that would have to be, you know, a systematic and multifaceted strategy that um, would be identified through the policy system and services. One big thing we haven't talked about just yet is the NDIS, and that is meant to provide the supports that people need to engage with their communities and fulfil their potential. Was it working for the young people you spoke to? 
Uh, NDIS was talked about as something that was quite tricky for them to navigate. So um, to access the NDIS, you have to meet strict criteria, you have to be quite assertive, you have to use the correct terminology and all of that uh, requires self-advocacy and self-determinations. And, and um, so if you're unable to do that or you have tricky um, or have difficulties with doing that yourself, you obviously rely on someone else to advocate for you or knowing the system or knowing how to speak the right language and that came out very clearly in our data. The language around the NDIS is very much couched in terms of choice and control. How much did you feel the young people you spoke to felt they were part of the decision-making process, whether that was around the NDIS or around transition from school more generally? Well, they they very clearly told us that they needed help with that and that that language was very hard for them to understand. So, um, so those who had uh, parents or carers who were able to help them navigate that system were seemed to be uh, in a better place than those that, you know, were lacking that support. And that is a tough thing, isn't it, for a young person who's learning how to be an adult, not being able to have that graduated independence and that decision-making practice. Lisa, it's been really fascinating chatting with you. Uh, Hopefully we'll see some change in the future. Thank you for having me on the show again. Pleasure. Dr Lisa Mogensen, Associate Professor in Medical Education Research and Evaluation at Western Sydney University, with a little window into some experiences that young people with intellectual disability are having. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.